Hello. And welcome to the Wild Cornwall podcast. A podcast by Cornwall Wildlife Trust. With me, Tom. And me, Lucy. We started this series to mark the Trust's 60th anniversary, which we're celebrating throughout this year. Cornwall Wildlife Trust was founded in 1962 and is one of 46 wildlife trusts working across the UK. Our vision is to create a Cornwall where nature can thrive. We simply want to create wilder places, wilder people and a wilder future. On today's episode, we'll consider the wonderful wildlife you can look out for during April. Tom will be heading down to meet ecologist Liz Cox to talk about peatland restoration and why it's a valuable tool in the fight against climate change. And finally, we'll think about how we can make our own green spaces more wildlife friendly, including going peat free. So, to introduce this episode, we've come to Pendarvis Wood near Camborne, which is one of Cornwall Wildlife Trust's 59 nature reserves. And that's because when it comes to being outdoors in April in Cornwall, Pendarves Wood is an amazing place to be. The bluebells here are quite simply fantastic. They look absolutely fabulous, like little pixie hats, and the woodland floor is carpeted in them. Now this reserve has a really rich and interesting history. It was actually owned by the Pendarves family, who rose to prominence in Cornwall during the 16th to 18th centuries as local land and mine owners. There are features of the garden that can still be seen today, including the lake and the 250-year-old red rhododendrons planted along the original driveway to the house. Pendarves Wood was leased from the duchy to Cornwall Wildlife Trust in 1976, so just shy of 40 years ago, and supports a huge variety of wildlife, from badger sets to otters and even the spotted flycatcher, a common visitor in the summer months. And a huge shout out to Roe Farming, who have partnered with the Trust to become a guardian of this impressive woodland. Don't forget Tom, also keep your eyes peeled for insects, such as the yellow brimstone, as they are often the first butterfly to be seen here in spring. They have these distinctive leaf-shaped wings, so you can't miss them. But anyways, what about getting down to the coast, Lucy? You're a marine apprentice, aren't you? So what might you see at this time of year? Honestly, all sorts of wonders. You'll see seals popping their heads up, reptilian-looking birds drying their wings on the rocks, but something super exciting about spring is a regular visitor will be making their way to Cornwall, the second largest living shark in the world. And that is? It's the basking shark. Okay, that is amazing. But should we be worried? Are they dangerous? Not at all. They are the BFGs of the sea, complete gentle giants. They only feed on microscopic prey called zooplankton, which filters out of the water, swimming slowly back and forth with their enormous mouths wide open. Whoa. And they migrate here between April and October each year as our waters get warmer. I'd love to see one. And on a much smaller scale, the wildlife I'm particularly looking out for at this time of year is the return of migratory birds like swallows and house martins. So where are they returning from, Tom? Well, these birds winter in South Africa, but they come back to their breeding haunts in the UK every spring. Cornwall might even be the first place they return to. Places like Marazion Marsh provide excellent feeding stations full of flying insects with which to refuel after their long journey. They build their nests on ledges in outhouses or even under the eaves of houses, so you may even spot one in your garden. Speaking of gardens and wildlife, Tom, you went to speak with Cornwall Wildlife Trust ecologist Liz Cox to talk all things peatland and peat-free gardening. That's right, I had a really eye-opening conversation with Liz we met at Cornwall Wildlife Trust HQ and she took me down to Alletbog on Five Acres. 
Liz, thanks so much for being on the Wild Cornwall podcast. Oh, you're welcome. And um, well, here we are in Alex Bog on the Five Acres Nature Reserve, squelching through quite muddy wetlands. Yes. Yeah, we're going into an area of, um, well, it's peatland soils and an area of sort of purple moorgrass rush pasture, which is a type of wetland with some kind of wet heath amongst it as well. Okay. So you're, you're an upstream thinking ecologist working for Cornwall Wildlife Trust. Yes. What does that mean? What do you do day to day? Well, so yeah, I've been working for Cornwall Wildlife Trust for about 17 years now. And the Upstream Thinking Project is essentially uh, a farm advisory project where we go out and talk to farmers about managing their habitats and their land and their soils for wildlife and also to keep the rivers and streams clean. Okay. So tell me what we're looking at here. Why is this a place that's so important for wildlife and plants? So we're in a really spectacular area of wetland and there's all manner of things here. There's loads of heathers. Um, in the summer you'd see lots of cotton grasses which have got these delicate white heads that you can see blowing in the wind. Lots of really special wildflowers like bog asphodel which has got these fantastic golden yellow spikes and uh, the anthers which hold the pollen have these amazing kind of bright orange little filaments on them make them look like tiny little feather boas. Some of my favourite plants you might see here are some of the carnivorous plants, so things like the round-leaved sundew, which is this kind of tiny jewel-like plant with bright green leaves that has these like bright red projections of little sticky dew droplets on them that attract insects in and then the plant sort of digests them away. And then of course loads and loads of animal life too, I mean absolutely amazing for insects. This place in the summer will be absolutely buzzing, the sounds of the birds and the bees and all the other insects, dragonflies and damselflies, um, things like reptiles as well. You know, it wouldn't be unusual even this early in the year to see an adder basking in one of the tussocks down here. Okay, let me know if we do see one. I'm a bit nervous about this. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll <laughs> let you know. Why is this place so important? These wetlands, these peatlands are incredibly important because they can store and hold on to lots of water. So they're really important for regulating floods and droughts, preventing floods and droughts. They're culturally quite important as well because these kind of waterlogged conditions can hold on to historic artefacts and evidence from thousands of years ago because peat takes so long to form. Um, it takes a, a good thousand years to form just one metre of, of this peat that's from the sort of partially decomposed plants, in particular sphagnum mosses that are here. But then one of the really important things is they're just so important from a carbon storage point of view. Okay, tell us more about that. Well, because because the, the peat is formed in waterlogged conditions, basically as the plants decompose, the carbon that would normally be released into the atmosphere from that decomposition is trapped within the peatland soil itself. So these habitats can hold on to that for millennia really, uh, particularly if they're undisturbed and it can keep drawing down carbon indefinitely. So it's amazing to think that actually peatlands only cover 3% of the world's surface, but they hold an incredible 30% of the whole world's soil carbon. And that, in the UK, that equates to three times as much as all our woodlands put together. So these are truly spectacular sites for wildlife, but they're also incredibly important from a climate change point of view. But one of the things that, that's really key to note is that when peatlands become degraded or damaged, so if they're cut for fuel or sometimes um, cut for, for example, for compost for using gardening, then actually they become sources of carbon, so they release carbon. So the greenhouse gas emissions from those are, are actually quite big. So it's really important that we protect our peatlands and restore those that are damaged. 
Why is it so important to look after these peatlands and what's being done about it in a national scale? Okay, well healthy peatlands absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and they can store that carbon indefinitely as long as they remain undisturbed. And most importantly, they can hold on to it, keep absorbing it and hold on to it for millennia. Um, but when they're disturbed, so either drained, uh, for example, for agriculture or damaged, for example, for producing compost, then they lose the waterlogged conditions that are necessary to form peat and they can no longer absorb and store that carbon. And actually now, damaged peatlands are a major source of greenhouse gas emissions, estimated to account for about 5% of UK's total carbon emissions. That's absolutely huge, then. Yeah, it, it's absolutely massive. So that's why it's so important that we look after the peatlands we, we've got. Um, fortunately, the government is finally recognising the importance of protecting our peatlands and how key restoring those we have got is, to our, is in our fight against climate change. And they've now pledged £50 million towards peatland restoration. Um, and also they're planning to ban the sale of peat and peat products, so for, gar for the horticultural gardening sector by 2024 which is fantastic, but that's still two years away. So the Wildlife Trust nationally have estimated that actually those two years till 2022, if we carry on with the use of, of um, peat garden products we're using, that's another 1.5 million tonnes of carbon dioxide that will, be, that will be released. So the Wildlife Trust nationally are calling for an immediate ban on the sale of all peat products. And what about here in Cornwall? What's Cornwall Wildlife Trust doing? Well, we're doing a lot of work um, raising awareness about peatlands um, so we've got open gardens starting again this uh, this april and so we've produced some information there to inform gardeners about that and the importance of going peat free there's information on our on our website all about that and then also really excitingly we've done some peatland restoration of our own so um, one of our nature reserves on bodmin moor Puddicombe downs um, we've restored about 90 hectares of peatland there and what I mean by restoration there is kind of reinstating those wet waterlogged conditions, so blocking old ditches and all of that, so that the conditions are right again for peat to be able to start forming again. And then really excitingly, one of the farms I've been working on, or really excitingly for me, one of the farms I've been working on down in West Penwith will be starting re-wetting another 12 hectares down there on Wednesday next week. So I'm super excited about that. So you sound quite hopeful, Liz. Yeah, I think there's loads of things that can be done. I think it's just really important to get people out and to experience these really special places. And to, I think so many people have no idea that places like this exist and mm. the huge function these places and so many places in nature have for us, not just from a well-being point of view, but you know, for, for all our health and the health of our nature and our wildlife and everything. So yes, I do feel hopeful about that. I just think we need to get the message out there. So. What can we do on the small scale then, in, you know, in our, in our gardens at home, how can we do wildlife gardening better uh, that protects places like this? So I think, I mean, the really key thing is, you know, go, go peat free. Loads of gardening organisations, so the Royal Horticultural Society, um, Gardeners World, the National Trust, all those places are really support the peat free message and are really campaigning for it. They've got loads of information and resources on their websites about how you can go peat free. And also they're demonstrating that they can do it really well. I mean, the RHS does amazing shows of peat free, you know, showing that it is possible to grow all these amazing things peat free. So without, have, you know, without having a cost for wildlife and the planet as a result of it. So I think that's, I think that's really key. 
And if I go we, down to my local garden centre, is it easy to find peat-free compost? So there are, there are peat-free composts quite often, but I always feel a bit saddened that there's never any explanation as to why that's so important. And it's not always clear. You'll, you know, you'll see bags that are labelled with lovely happy wildlife pictures on it, but some of those will still have peat in them, or they'll say sustainable peat. That, there's really no such thing as sustainable peat. It's, all, it's almost like another fossil fuel, really. It takes a thousand years to form one metre. So if you think how much you get in one of those massive bags, then that's quite a rapid depletion of something that takes a very long time to form. So I think if you go to your garden centre, ask for peat-free and make it known that you really do want to buy peat-free because that kind of customer interest and demand is, is what's going to make this happen sooner. And so beware of sustainable peat, you just said it. Yes. Mm. There is no such thing as There's sustainable no thing, peat, yeah. really, it, it just isn't. It just... So you can take our, our peat-free pledge um, on our website and that will also give you some more information about how to gain peat-free and more wildlife gardening tips. Great. What's your other top wildlife tips, Liz, just while I've got you here? I think diversity in your garden is really good. And one thing that nearly always brings in loads of wildlife is creating a pond, creating some, some open water. I did this with my children over lockdown and they were just blown away that the very next day there were already diving beetles swimming around in it. Really lovely. Dragonflies are in three or four days visiting. I think water always brings in, it brings in the insects really quickly and then it brings in all the things that will feed on them. You might get a hedgehog coming in to, to drink at your pond. I always think that's a nice thing to bring more wildlife into your garden. Liz, you sound really passionate about the natural world and, and wildlife. How did you get into this? Well, I, actually, I just started volunteering. Uh, I started volunteering because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I liked being outside. So I just started volunteering on practical conservation tasks outside. And then I just, I mean, I'd always loved being outside, but I just realised how many more things there were to see. And the more you learn, the more you, the more you notice, the more you realise you don't know. So it's just a, loads to keep learning mm. and experiencing. And over the time you've been working for Cornwall Wildlife Trust, what's the most special thing you've seen? Well, there's several things, but for me, it's generally a, a feeling, a feeling of, of feeling genuinely lucky that I get pleasure out of the simple things in life of being outside and experiencing that. And one of my most special experiences definitely was sort of when we acquired one of our newest nature reserves a few years ago, right down west, another big wetland reserve called, called Bostrays Nature Reserve, going out there for an early morning dawn chorus event. Um, around about April, sort of six o'clock in the morning with this sort of fantastic ethereal light through the fog and all the birds singing all around us, squelching, squelching through all the mosses. And yeah, I just, it just blows me away every time that like being close to those things and realising that these things occur naturally and that we have the power to protect those. I had no idea at all this place existed down here. W would you encourage people to go and visit places like this? Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think you've really hit the nail on the head, actually. People don't know there are these fantastic places. So come out and experience it for yourself. Get the sights and the sounds and the smells and see all the wildlife around you. Because I really think there's just nothing better for you than to be fully immersed in, in that wildlife all around you. And there's so many fantastic things. Like, I, I want to show you this. This is quite a special plant called bog myrtle. If It's like a little shrub. If you rub that between your fingers, it's got a really strong aromatic smell. So this is bog myrtle? Bog myrtle, yeah. It's kind of a 
What colour would you describe that as? Sort of um, kind of a tawny, tawny. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. got really strong aromatic smell, and it yeah. used to be used to flavour beer, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Not anymore, though. Well, I don't know, actually. Maybe someone still does, <laughs> but I don't know. But there, yeah, there's so many lovely things like that. So the sights and the smells, and mm. then the mosses I wanted to show you as well. I'll oh, yeah. squelch over here and get to this big carpet of sphagnum moss. They, sphagnum moss is a really key component of, of peat because it's one of the things that holds so much water and decays down to, to form the peat soils. Mm. And they form these amazing colourful carpets, kind of reds and oranges, yellows, yeah. greens, everything in between. And they hold so much water. If you squish one right out, you can wow, just see it dripping out of it. Amazing. Apparently, and they've got antiseptic properties as well. And okay. they used to be used um, to pack, you know, sort of in olden times, to pack wounds and stuff in, in, um, in battles. Have you ever tried that? No, and I'm not sure how, if you've been hit by a large axe, how much <laughs> it's going to help you, but apparently they used to be used for that. <laughs> so do this, does the, do these colours change over the course of the year? Um, different species have different colours quite often. Sometimes you get really bright red mats um, and just all the different shades of green. And it's so squishy, you know, sometimes you can kind of just bounce on it. <laughs> it. It's just lovely. It's one of life's simple joys, I think. So you'd advise coming in a pair of wellies, I guess? Yep, 100%. <laughs> Definitely in a pair of wellies. And here we are. This is a, a, an allet yep. at five acres. Anywhere else you'd particularly recommend people to go and see? Um, well, we've got Pridicombe Nature Reserve up on Bodmin Moor um, and lots of nice wetland sites up on Bodmin Moor. And then I particularly spend a lot of time down in West Penwith. So Bostray's Nature Reserve down in West Penwith for me is one of our most spectacular wetlands down in that area. Really special place. And there they've got two different types of carnivorous plants, cotton grass, bog asphodel I mentioned earlier, all sorts of beautiful plants and, and um, wildlife. So yeah, very worth visiting. Great. Liz, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. That was certainly really interesting, Tom. What particularly stuck out for you? Well, it was actually that thing of how long it takes for peat to form. A thousand years for one metre. That is really amazing. So with Easter almost upon us, I'm sure lots of people will be keen to get out into their gardens and perhaps do some wildlife gardening. Buying organic peat-free compost is a must for anyone wanting to make their gardens wildlife friendly. But what else can people do, Tom? Great question, Lucy. Things like making an insect hotel and providing water with bird baths. And, as Liz said in that interview, ponds are a great way to attract wildlife to your garden. You can also lock up your lawnmower and allow your garden plants to grow. Not only will you be helping provide nectar for bees and insects and create shelter for our small mammals, but you'll also have a garden full of colour. And who doesn't want that? So, to pledge to go peat-free in your garden, and to find out more about our peatlands here in Cornwall, visit Cornwall Wildlife Trust's website at cornwallwildlifetrust.org.uk forward slash peat. You can find the link in the show notes. And if you want some top-notch garden inspiration, why not come along to our first open garden of the year? I've heard Ped and Billy is spectacular. I'm looking forward to it. And for those of you who want to come along, just visit the website to see all of the events. And you might even consider joining as a member to help us continue our work restoring peatlands and in our wonderful nature reserves, like this one, Pendarves Wood, to make them places where nature can thrive. We'll be back in May, so don't forget to subscribe. Bye. Goodbye.